we are back in Exodus, guys. It, it has been uh, a couple of minutes since we've been there. It's been so long that, see, look, my, my, my uh, whatever you call it, the string in my Bible is not even on Exodus. So that's how long it's been since we've been in there. Last week when we were doing our online sermon, we, we did kind of a little vision refresher, and we were talking about what does it mean for us as the church. We kind of covered some of the things we've been talking about the past uh, six months, really, and, and I hope that you guys were encouraged and just reminded of, uh, you know, there's a thought that I shared at the end that I, I just kept coming back to this week. I hope it doesn't ever sound boring or repetitive when, when you hear some of the same things over and over again because there's not really a time where we ever need to move away from it, right? There's not really a point where we hear truth in Scripture and we say, okay, we've got that. Now let's move on to something else, right? Like we, we've already finished something and, and we, we never need to come back to it. We never need to be reminded of it. We never need to hear the truth of it because we just assume we've got it and we can just move on. And 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 I don't I don't know if you guys even picked up on that because that wasn't really what I was intending to to share in the sermon, but the more I listened to it, and the more I prepared for this week, I realized that's that is my tendency. And maybe you guys are are better than I am and you don't have that problem, but I tend to and maybe just this comes from being a student for so long that you, you, you hear something, you learn it, you kind of file it away, and you move on to the next thing. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we, we approach that with the Word of God as well. And, and I realized as I was reading Exodus chapter 10 that there's, there is a, a theme that we, we are probably prone to doing that to that has been consistent in all the chapters, but I haven't even really talked about it yet. And, and I haven't really covered it, and it really came to life in this chapter. So I, I think as, as we're talking in Exodus 10 today, as we're studying this, we're going to be talking about worship. Because I realized as we're kind of feeling out the beginnings of, man, what does it look like for us to do church together? What does it look like for us to live out this vision? Worship is like one of those words that we're like, okay, we know what that means, and we move on sometimes a little bit too quickly without understanding. When we talk about worship, what do we, what do we mean, right? Because if I say wor- worship, some of you guys think, okay, that's, that's Sunday morning singing, and uh, that might not be my most favorite thing to do because I don't like singing in public. Uh, some of you may be like me uh, where I tell them, you know, some people have golden pipes, and they sing beautifully. I, I told the search committee when I was being interviewed, I have... PVC pipes, you know, they, they function, they do not need to be on display in front of everybody. So sometimes if, if that's what you're hearing, then, then that's one definition. Sometimes you might hear worship and think, well, that's what we do on Sunday mornings, but I don't really know where that comes in throughout the rest of the week. Some of you guys hear worship and you think, well, okay, the literal English definition is to give worth to something, so worship is like me giving worth, and, and so maybe, yeah, there's a technical definition to it. But I just say that to say, when we say worship, there's a lot of different meanings that come across. And I almost want to apologize because we're 10 chapters in, and the idea of worship has been very prevalent, very consistent throughout the text, and I... I I don't want to say I've glossed over it, but we haven't really focused in on it yet. So that is, that is where we're going this morning. Exodus chapter 10 is the eighth plague and the ninth plague, so we are almost done with the plagues. And as, 
as you listen to, I'll, I'll read in a second, but as you listen to Moses and Aaron talking back and forth with Pharaoh, uh, we're going to learn two, two big ways that we tend to struggle with worship. Maybe we didn't even realize they're, they're fundamental parts of our worship. So as we hear Pharaoh struggling to understand this, may we realize we struggle to understand this. And hopefully as we're hearing this, we'll see how we can really move forwards in growing and worship God. The, the main idea this morning for us, we struggle to worship God because worshiping him requires two big things, repentance and sacrifice. And I choose, I, I choose those words because they're in the text, but they're also somewhat uh, churchy words that we may need to also describe this morning. But we struggle in worship because it requires repentance and it requires sacrifice. And when we miss those two things, we are not able to be in God's presence, so we're not able to worship him. So this is where we're going, Exodus chapter 10. Um, this is actually a little bit of a shorter chapter, so those of you who wonder why we read such big sections, there's a little bit less today. But this is Exodus 10, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord." So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, Hey, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the man among you and serve the Lord for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the wind had brought the locusts. And they came up over the land of Egypt, and they settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before and nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, Okay, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. 
So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. And then the Lord said to Moses, Okay, now stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you, but only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Father, we are, we are ready to hear from you this morning. Father, may we understand when we talk about worship, God, there, we, we bring a lot to the table in our understanding of what worship is. Father, we know we, it, is a, it is a very big thing you ask of us, and so it's not something we are going to be able to cover entirely Lord, but may we see from repentance and from sacrifice how all of this fits into our worship of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Man, so these, these two plagues, guys, I don't, if you read throughout the narrative, if you just sit down and read through all of them, it feels like the plagues are getting progressively worse and worse and worse. Uh, although some of you may have your pet peeves about whether you'd want to be covered in boils or in frogs, this one, the eighth plague, is one of locusts. And if, imagine if you, you look out over the land and it's, it's just locusts. All you see is the color of locusts. And then in the ninth plague, it is a, a bit in verse 21, a darkness to be felt. Um, that kind of darkness where you, you close your eyes and then you open them and then you can't tell whether your eyes are open or not because it's just that, that pitch black. This, this is what this, this plague is describing. So these are very real, very prevalent, pressing plagues that God is using, and he's using them this time to now show us about where do we struggle with worship. And the first part that we struggle with is we, we struggle to worship God because worshiping him requires repentance. All right, so how repentance fits into our worship this morning. You see, in the first six verses, God calls out Pharaoh's lack of humility, and he calls it out before, the, before Moses. He, he says in verse 3, <clears throat> they go to Pharaoh and they say, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And it, you see that Pharaoh's lack of humility is actually keeping people from being able to worship God, which is what he's after in verses 1 and 2. And the refusal is, is really now starting to cause some problems, right? That the plagues keep getting worse and worse. In verse 7, you see that Pharaoh's servants are also starting to pick up on this, that they're not just seeing this in light of Pharaoh, they're now seeing it in light of the whole nation. They tell Pharaoh, hey, how long are you going to keep them from doing this? You are literally causing the land to fall apart in ruins. And so now even they are asking Pharaoh to let the people go because they see 
His hard-heartedness, his lack of repentance is, is literally bringing destruction on the land. In verses 8 through 11, you see, yeah, Pharaoh does, he, he kind of, I love how it says he hastily calls them back in. Just like, like Pharaoh is, he doesn't really want to do this, but he's sensing from the people it's something he needs to do. So Pharaoh calls them back in, and he initially responds favorably. He says, okay, you guys can go worship, but remind me again, who, who among you needs to go worship? And Moses and Aaron tell him, hey, it, it's going to be everybody. It's going to be young and old. It's going to be rich and poor. It's going to be all the flocks, our sons, our daughters, everybody. Everybody and everything needs to go. And Moses says, we have to do this because we all, verse 9, we must hold a feast to the Lord. And it's interesting because Pharaoh then, as, as is Pharaoh's you know, pattern, he doesn't let him go do it. In fact, he, I love how he even tells Moses, no, you're asking for this, but here's what you're really asking. I don't know if you guys have ever had a parent do that to you, or you ask them a question, they say, you're asking this question, but you're really asking this question. I'm going to answer this question, and it's no. This is what Pharaoh is doing to Moses and Aaron. He says, no, you have an evil purpose in mind. You're just asking for the men, but I'm, I'll let you, you know, have the men, but you can't take everybody with you. And, and it's, it's an odd interaction that looks different than what we've seen from Pharaoh in all the previous chapters. And, and I realized as I was thinking about this this week, what is Pharaoh really struggling with at this point? Right? It, it, Pharaoh, he's, he's not foolish. He knows if he lets all the people, all the men, all the women, all the children, all the animals, if he lets everybody go, the likelihood of them coming back when they're living in slavery, pretty low. Right? So, so Pharaoh knows, I'm not foolish for just letting him go. Pharaoh also, though, this is not the first time that they've asked Pharaoh to let them go. Right? If you go back to chapter 5, this is at least the ninth time they have asked Pharaoh to let all the people go. So when Pharaoh says, remind me again, who needs to go? Pharaoh knows the answer to this question. Right? So, so what is Pharaoh really after? And guys, what Pharaoh is after is he simply does not want the people to stay in God's presence. What Pharaoh is, is trying to ensure happens is that they will come back to him. And we see from this chapter the lack of humility, the lack of repentance is being called out in Pharaoh because his, his hard-heartedness is keeping people from being in God's presence. And not only is he keeping them from there, he's pulling them back to be with himself. Because the picture of worship that is unfolding throughout this chapter that God continually is calling to his people is the one of physically leaving to go be in the presence of God, right? That, that the people actually have to leave the current condition, the current place they're at. They need to go be with God. This, this is the picture that's been all throughout Exodus. And, and this, this is why repentance is so crucial for us when we talk about worship as Christians. Repentance is just a big, fancy word that is to leave something behind and to turn and go in a different direction. So, so when we talk about repentance as Christians, we talk about saying something is wrong, right? Our brokenness, our sin, it is wrong. We don't want that in our lives anymore. We need to turn and go in a different direction. 
And so this is, you know, when if you've heard uh, the gospel shared and you hear the word repentance come up, usually it's, it's in terms of we repent of our sin, right? We admit something's not right with us, which is where we have to start. Something's not okay. It's a condition we have called sin. It leads us, we live in rebelliousness against God as a result, so we we leave it behind, and then we turn to Jesus, and we ask him to be our Savior, one who redeems our former way of life, to, and then now who's also becoming our Lord to now lead us in this new direction. Repentance is key for the gospel. Repentance is key for worshiping God. It's why Jesus, when he answers the question posed to him in John chapter 4 of where should we worship God, he says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Worship is an entire lifestyle. It is not just a thing we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just a thing we do in, in just singing. It is a way of turning from a former way of life that we, we acknowledge is inherently broken and a way of now living a new life with Christ. And we cannot have this without repentance. You see, after the plague comes and the locusts destroy everything in verses 12 through 15, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron before him and he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Great start. Great start to repentance, Pharaoh. I have sinned. Something is inherently not right with me. Okay, thank you. Great start, Pharaoh. He says, now forgive me this sin only this once. Only this once. I mean, do we, what have you been, been doing, Pharaoh? Is, is this really the only thing that has been taking place? Even, even as Pharaoh is starting to come to God, you see repentance truly isn't in there. Okay, and, and guys, why... Why this is such a big deal and why I really, I'm sorry that we have not even talked about this until chapter 10. That's, that's kind of on me. Why this is a big deal is because whatever is unrepentant will not worship God. And so as, a, as, a, as we're in this vision season, as we are looking forward into the life of what our ministry, what our programs, what our church life looks like, we have to be so careful to not just gloss over what is worship and what is repentance, because whatever is not repentant will not worship God. Whatever is not repentant, whatever can stand before God and say, I looked back at that and I find absolutely nothing wrong with it. Whatever is unrepentant does not worship. It fundamentally is integral because as we study the word, as we pray, as we see, man, what are we supposed to be doing? We have to admit something's not right to begin with. And to not be able to admit that, guys, is, is opposed to the gospel. I mean, the gospel starts with us coming to God and saying, God, something is not right with me. Okay, And if we are living that out in every areas of our lives, just because we say that at one point in time, that doesn't mean that now everything afterwards is just perfect. We continually have to be in a place of repentance if we want to be in a place of worship. And it's also dangerous because not only does whatever's not repentant not worship God, it also leads others to not worship God. Because you see here, even the people of, of Pharaoh who, who know <laughs> what he's doing is not okay, they're, they're saying, Pharaoh, man, you are literally tearing the land apart because you cannot admit that something was wrong in what you are doing. That not only is Pharaoh's unrepentance 
harming himself, right? That he's not right with God. He's literally tearing Egypt apart, let alone the fact that all this means he still wants to keep the Israelites in slavery, okay? That, not to make light of that, but, but Pharaoh's unrepentantness is spreading out to all the people around him. Everyone under his care, under his control, is being affected by this. And so I think an easy way for us to, to try to measure or gauge what, what we would consider to be unrepentant is, is just for us to say, where do I go back to, right? If the picture of what is taking place here is Pharaoh is trying to keep the people from being in the presence of God, he wants to bring them back to him, then, then what do we fall back on, Okay, is it, is it our, our logic and our understanding where we feel like, okay, God, I have thought about this, I have processed this, I've come to a conclusion, I don't need to examine it anymore because I'm okay. You know, is it, I, we could go on, guys. We, there's so many things that we, we tend to fall back on when we're, we're not sure of where do we go next, when we are kind of in tension with ourselves about, man, did I do the right thing or not, where we fall back on shows whether we are repentant or not. Because if we fall back on Christ, then we are able to say, Lord, I don't know if I did the right thing. In fact, I know I did not walk through it okay. But God, you have given me grace, and I want to live out your grace. Lord, help me to understand what do I need to be doing now. And I, I again, I, I apologize that we've, maybe I have taken for granted that we've all understood what worship is. Because guys, if Man, if we, if we don't have an attitude of, of repentance, we will not be able to grow together. We will not be able to, to worship God fully the way that he desires of his people. And, and I hope you hear as we go through this and we're reading the, the account of Exodus and you see Pharaoh, man, I, I, I become much more increasingly aware of how much like Pharaoh I am. <laughs> and I really don't like it. And, and I really don't want to lead you guys to become like Pharaoh. I don't want any of us to become like Pharaoh as we read through this. So we, we have to understand repentance is key to us being able to worship God, but there's also another piece in here that's key, and that is sacrifice. As we, we start to see, especially in, in the, the latter portion of the chapter when Pharaoh and Moses are talking after the darkness, sacrifice is a key piece of our, our worship of God that we struggle with. In verses 21 through 23, you see the nature of the plague itself is, I, I don't know, I, I wish I had, I had studied this more as a kid, you know, and grown up, because I, I guess when you hear it taught in Sunday school as a kid, it just comes across as, you know, it's, it's a darkness like the lights are turned off, right? Or you just can't see anything. Then you read in verse 21, it says, a darkness to be felt. And I know that, I don't know if I've ever been in a place where physically it was just so black that you could feel the darkness. Um, sometimes you, you can be in spiritual situations where it just, it feels like everything is in such a bad place that you can feel the darkness. But it, it is amazing, in verse 22, you see there's pitch darkness in all the land for three days. In verse 23, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. It was so dark, they could not see anything. Even inside their own homes, they saw nothing for three days. I mean, that, that would be crazy 
if, if all of a sudden you could see nothing, totally nothing for three full days. And, and the plague is powerful. It, it, it's disturbing, right, to be without light. And, and then you also consider all throughout Scripture the, the language of light and darkness it also points to something bigger. So, you know, of course, you know, I'm not saying that this didn't literally happen. It, it's disturbing how, how darkness, they, how much darkness they went through. But all throughout Scripture, light and dark are usually analogies also that, that compare us to being in the presence of God. Right? So the language of Scripture uses light as being in God's presence, being with God, and, and darkness as being apart from God. Right, that I mean, in, in some places, hell is just described as, as this utter, complete darkness, that you are totally separated apart from God. And so in this plague, we see both a literal darkness and, and the metaphorical darkness. They, they are truly without God. But we see also in verse 23, the people of Israel had light. God's people, even though they... They were still under oppression, even though they hadn't gotten to go out into the wilderness yet. They were still with God. They have light. And verses 24 through 26, now Pharaoh is, is starting to change his mind a little bit. And he calls Moses and he says, okay, all of you guys can go. All of you guys can go worship God. But you have to leave your animals here. He throws another caveat. And, and watch Moses' response to this, guys. In verse 25, Moses says, you have to let us take our animals. We have to be able to bring our, our animals and our sacrifices with us. He, he knows that to worship God, to be in his presence, requires an element of sacrifice. And I love, and I did, not, I did not pick up on this the first time I read through the text this week, but in verse 26, Moses says, We do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So Moses is saying, you have to let us bring everything to sacrifice to God because we don't even know what the sacrifice is going to look like until we get there. And then again, you see at the, the end of the chapter, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and it gets so bad that Pharaoh says, get out of my presence. I don't even want to see you again. The next time I see you again, I will make sure it is the last time that I see you again. And Pharaoh is very strongly against Moses at this point. But guys, it is, there is a lot going on here when we talk about sacrifice that that is is just crazy to understand okay and I, I realize I, I need to be careful also when I say sacrifice because culturally we also have an understanding that we read into the word sacrifice typically when we we talk about sacrifices it's more centered around ourselves right what are we giving up in order to do for God? What are we doing for God that we could have been doing for ourselves or other things? We talk about sacrificing time, sacrificing money, energy. All of this is okay, all right? This is not a, a bad thing per se, but that, that's what we think about when we hear the word sacrifice. That's not always what Scripture is talking about when Scripture talks about sacrifice. And in this case, at this point in time in Exodus, uh, you know, we, we haven't gotten all of the laws regarding what animals do you sacrifice for what. That, that's actually going to come later in the book. Right now, what we've seen throughout Scripture is, is really just the book of Genesis, right? What does sacrifice look like in the book of Genesis that when Moses is talking about sacrifices, this is what they would have meant. 
All throughout Genesis, you see sacrifice as a, a physical act displaying a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality, we have been broken apart from God, right, in, in our sin. And, and to be broken apart from God is, is to be essentially dead, right? If God is the creator of life, then if we're with God, we have life. If we're apart from God, we have death. That, that's about as, as simply as, as we, can, we can see it from the text. So the sacrifices were physical acts of killing an animal, right, so that that death would cover the person offering the sacrifice, right? So you would kill the animal. The animal's death would take the place of your death, and then that would bring you back into a right place with God. So when you, when you hear sacrifice in this text, this isn't really about Moses is saying, we don't know what we're going to have to do for God once we get there. Moses is saying, we don't even know how we're supposed to be right with God until we get there. But we know if we're going to go worship God, we have to be right with him. Sacrifice in this context is all about righteousness, which is a, a big church word that just means you're, you've been made right with something. So when we talk about being righteous with God, it's, it's almost like a legal word, really, where God looks at us and says, you are right with me. I see that you have sinned, but there is a sacrifice that is covering that, so you, you are right with me. So when we talk about sacrifice, what Moses is saying here is, Pharaoh, we, you don't understand. It's not just for us to go be in God's presence. It's not just for us to go kind of be in proximity near God. We have to go be right, go be made right with God. We have to be able to bring our sacrifice with us. And so guys, what, what this means for us as a church and, and what it looks like for us, if, if our worship requires sacrifice, it requires us to be made right with God. It means our holiness matters to God. Right now, I, I am. I am. Please, please hear me on this. This is this is not a, this is not a statement where you have to say fix everything before you can come to worship God. This is this is not a a self help thing where I'm telling you guys you have to sort things out before you can come to God. Okay, please, please do not hear that from me this morning. When I say our holiness matters to God, it, it means He desires us to be made right with Him. And just as we were talking about with repentance, that requires us just being able to stand before God and say, God, I don't really know what to do with this, but something is not right here. And if we can start at that place and we can admit that, we can admit that so that we give our lives to him, right, to become Christ followers, but then daily we can admit that to him and say, God, I don't think I handled this right. God, I was trying to be your image out here and I totally messed this up. It, it requires an attitude of we're not just trying to be holy in the sense of we're better than other people. We want to be right with God in all that we are doing. That, 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 that mentality, that holiness, that desire to be right with God matters. And I have seen as a, as a pastor, one of the biggest traps, especially for Christians, is we are really good. Or maybe, maybe this is just me, okay? Maybe you guys don't have this, but I am really good at assuming that I'm right. I assume that because I have prayed about something, that because I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, that because I am a follower of Christ, I assume that, okay, I, I'm not perfect, it's not all the things, but most of the time I assume whatever I want, whatever I'm going after, it's probably right. 
Guys, I, I don't know that, okay? To, for me to be able to declare myself right is not a righteousness that is of God. That, that is something that purely comes from me trying to justify whatever it is I am doing. And th- this line of thinking, the more I've, I've seen it in me, I've had to call out to Abigail and say, hey, I, I see this in me and it's not okay because it just, it doesn't match the gospel. The heart of the gospel requires me to come to God and say, God, I am not right. So any point in time in my life where I'm looking at my life saying, well, I've, I've done all my evaluating. I feel like I'm right on this. It doesn't stand up to the holiness of God. And if I really, truly want to be right with God above anything else, I should have no problem being able to go before God and say, God, I'm not right. God, something, I, I don't know if I have all of it wrong. I don't know if I have just a part of it wrong, but something is not okay here. And Lord, I, I trust that if I can come to this to you rather than just charge ahead, assuming I'm right, God, I know that I will see you. I know that you will redeem whatever it is I'm about to do. Because he takes our holiness very seriously. He treats it with primary urgency. So, so should we, church. And what this also means for us is, is our, our sacrifice matters to God. And, and this, I, I really want to be an encouragement for you guys. Because in, in many of my conversations, and, and not just with people here, but with friends in, in the area that go to other churches, friends from you know, back home where our parents are, friends from uh, just where we lived in North Carolina before we came here, there are, there's a very high percentage of uh, Christ followers that are, are struggling with, with burnout right now. And a lot of the burnout comes from feeling like I am trying to do so much for God and I just am not seeing a return right? Like, I'm trying to do my best in everything for God. I'm trying to follow him. You know, I've given my life to him, but problems still persist. Things are still difficult. I just don't see fruit of my my labor. And I want to encourage you guys that for for some of them, and, and this may be you, it may not, but for some of them, it because we understand that sacrifice is, is so like, what are we giving up? We end up tying sacrifice to service, and then we've, we've made both about ourselves. Some of my friends have, have spent so much time trying to do things for God, they've never, ever stopped to ask God, what is it you want me to be doing with my life? That, that maybe I'm not seeing a return because, Lord, even though I believe I'm doing everything for you, I'm not. Guys, a sacrifice and, and repentance require us to come before God and say, God, when, when I'm seeing something and it's not working, it, it, there's a whole host of reasons, right, that it could be. It could be because, Lord, you're telling me it's just not time yet, that, that you are allowing me to go through something to, to grow in me a, a depth to my spiritual walk with you that I did not previously have. It could be that, that we are going through something because, Lord, even though I believe I'm falling after you, it's really just about me. And, and because of that, I am totally not seeing you. That could be the reality. And, and so if, if we're trying to figure all these things out and we don't ultimately know what the answer is, then what, what God is clearly showing us in his word is for us to worship him, for us to get to see where he is at, we have to adopt the posture of sacrifice. God, I am, I am not right with you and I want to be right with you. And out of that desire, he will 
we got to believe he will truly show us, man, what is it we are to be doing? If it is just to be faithful to the long road of obedience, then may we just be faithful. But repentance and sacrifice matter. And without them, we don't, we don't worship well. So for, for our response this morning, I, I wanted to just to lead us through a, a, a moment of, of prayer where we can just kind of be honest with God about, man, how does, how does my life reflect repentance and reflect sacrifice in the way that we have seen you call it out, Lord, in Exodus chapter 10? I think that the first question for us, we have to say, man, okay, before I even get into the day-to-day, how well do I do this? Have I repented and sacrificed to you, Lord, first, once and for all, acknowledging that, Lord, I at my core am a broken, fallen human being, and that through repentance have I, have I turned from my sin and said, God, I desire your son to be my savior, you know, the, the one that has redeemed this, and my Lord, the one that leads me into this new life, because, God, I want to be right with you more than anything else. And so if that's a decision that, that you haven't made, I, I do want to encourage you to pray with me in a second um, to just reflect this prayer up to God. But I also, guys, if, if you have that made that decision, I also want to encourage you to, to read this prayer back with me because this is the reality of where we are at. And again, we, we talk about not wanting to gloss over things or not wanting to say, well, we've understand this now, we don't need this anymore. Or, yeah, we, we get this now, we can move on. No, if, if we do not have hearts that at their core have repentant attitudes, have a sacrificial attitude, that they don't desire to be right with God above everything else, guys, we will not worship God. We will not glorify him and what it is that we're doing. And, and we as a church, one of our, our values, we want Christ as our life. We want to glorify God. So this is, this is integral for us. Guys, um, in last week, we, we read a prayer together. It's a, if you haven't read it, the book is called um, The Valley of Vision. It's just a collection of, of Puritan prayers all throughout church history. Um, and and I, I'm probably going to try to draw on them more because... Uh, simply they say things in, in ways that I, I can't. They put it much more eloquently. They, they reveal scriptural truth so succinctly that sometimes the best thing we could do is pray what thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of faithful Christians before us have also already prayed to remind us of where we are at in the story. We're not trying to figure all this out for the first time. We are, we are trotting where other saints have trod, to borrow the phrase. So, guys, today, may you, you join with me in praying as we close um, the prayer. It's, it's simply entitled Reconciliation. Lord God Almighty, thou art beforehand with men, for thou hast reconciled thyself to the world through the cross. Thou dost beseech men to accept reconciliation. It is my responsibility to grasp thy overtures of grace. For if thou, God, the offended part, act first with the word of appeasement, I need not call in question thy willingness to save, but must deplore my own foolish maliciousness. If I do not come to thee as one who seeks thy favor, I live in contempt, I live in anger, I live in malice, I live in self-sufficiency. 
and thou dost call it enmity. Thou hast taught me the necessity of a mediator, a messiah, to be embraced in love with all my heart, as king to rule me, as prophet to guide me, as priest to take away my sin and death. And this by faith in thy beloved Son, who teaches me not to guide myself, not to obey myself, not to try and rule and conquer sin, but to cleave to the one who will do all for me. Thou hast made known to me that to save me is Christ's work, but to cleave to him by faith is my work. And with this faith is the necessity of my daily repentance as a mourning for the sin which Christ by grace has removed. Continue, O God, to teach me that faith apprehends Christ's righteousness, not only for the satisfaction of justice, but is unspotted evidence of thy love to me. Help me to make use of his work of salvation as the ground of peace and of thy favor to an acceptance of me, the sinner, so that I may always live near the cross. Lord, we want to live near your cross.